Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Playing With Myself on the Internet. This is Rainy. Full disclosure, get this out of the way early on, um, my toddler got sick earlier this week, which means eventually I got sick, and I'm not feeling great, so this is going to be a relatively short episode, um, but I've been doing a lot of thinking about this solo RPG series and what I am enjoying about it, obviously, and what I would like to do with it. It seems like a lot of you enjoy listening to this, so I'm hoping to continue this, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to do solo series in like, I think somewhere between 5 and 10 episode arcs, and I'm going to switch up what games I'm playing, because there's a lot of really great, not only explicitly solo role-playing games out there that I think are really great and nail some really interesting storytelling vibes that I'm really excited to try, but also because the whole point of DMs After Dark is to show you guys the games that are out there that you could potentially explore and find yourself having a great time with. So um, let's dive into this episode of Colossal, the third episode following Marco and his small rookling friend Burger, and see where we go from here. I want to retcon or talk about a few things that happened last time. Um, this is kind of a nice thing about playing, you know, solo, is that... So, last session we met Alice, this beautiful, adventurous, you know, desperate-for-adventure character that was wandering the crackways between the rooms like Marco. And um, both she and Marco found themselves in a sticky situation and escaped together and you know, presumably are going to be heading to this next city that we're going to be building shortly. Um, there are co-op rules, so, you know, maybe if we play this for a few more sessions and Alice is going to be a member of the adventure moving forward, maybe I can find somebody to play her. I think that retconning, I think it makes a lot of sense that she is the armed class. We talked about how she has kind of like a grappling hook and all of this stuff. I think it's actually really cool if she has kind of like a grappling hook launcher attached to her it's it you know part of a rook that was defeated she either defeated it herself or scavenged it or built it or what have you we don't know but i think it's cool that she basically has this like rope launcher and she can change out the head on it so sometimes it's a grappling hook sometimes it's just like a metal ball that she can attack people with sometimes maybe it's a harpoon who knows but i think that's just a, a cool thing and alice as we saw was too cool of a character to just leave uh, swinging a rope around but again that might not matter because when we get to this city, uh, we may part ways with Alice. We will see as we continue on. Um, I do want this session to be kind of short and sweet uh, because I'm not feeling great. I probably don't sound great. Um, so I want to highlight a few really cool things about Colossal. Obviously, your character is going to be exploring the room lands in the Colossal, and they're going to come across places, civilization, settlements in the room lands that are... Basically, I know I've compared this to Pokemon a few times because I am the followed class, but I kind of think about the Roomlands like Pokemon games, where there are these settlements that are safe, but everything in between them is kind of dangerous, right? And these rocky canyon lands that we came out to the end of the last episode, I kind of imagine them like the Wild West. I described it like the American Southwest. I think it's really cool to imagine these rivers that cut through and there are these canyons and there are settlements built along these rivers out of the husks of, you know, colossal 
no pun intended, or like gargantuan rooks from the past that have fallen. And everything in between is kind of no man's land, right? Uh, you don't know what you're going to find. There's definitely roaming rooks out there in the deserts. Um, and it's dangerous. So I think that's really cool. Let's go over city building in Colossal. It's like everything else, uh, we're going to flip some cards and we're going to find out what is in this city. We're going to have to name it. We're going to have to find out what's there. And that's obviously going to influence what Marco finds there and what opportunities present themselves moving forward. We know he has a map and a key handed down throughout his family. And the map shows multiple rooms, one of which he has just reached. And each of these rooms has a different distinct glyph. So I think obviously there's a glyph marked somewhere in the room on that map. So here in the Rocklands, he's going to have to find some place. He's going to have to ask somebody in this city where he can find this. Um, and we've talked about how valuable something like this map might be. So he's going to have to be relatively careful about who he trusts with this information. But without further ado, let's get into the city building part of this game. Reading right from the book, it says, when your character arrives at a city, the first task is to build it. Building the city involves drawing a number of cards and laying them out in front of you, and the cards must touch one another on at least one side. There can be no areas of the city that float around separately. The shape is completely up to you. It could be a perfect square, an L shape, whatever. Because this is a city on a river, I think I want... I'm going to have a few of them touch in a corner and basically represent a bridge across the river. So let's see what this is going to do. Basically, a city always starts with four elements. These are in every city in the Roomlands. We go through the deck and we pull out a 10, a jack, a queen, and a king in any suit or color, and they correspond to a hunter's guild, that is the king, a tavern, that is the queen, a merchant, that is the jack, and the housing district, which is the 10. Then we draw a number of cards to build the rest of the city. Typically there are eight cards in total, so I would draw four more cards. I think that because this particular room, these rocklands are pretty desolate and you know harsh conditions, I'm going to leave it at that eight card minimum. They do say you can draw more or less. I think this is really one of the few places people can come, kind of like, it's not an oasis because it's on a river, but you know, it, it's one of those places that it's safe to amass a lot of people. So let's go ahead and flip it. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go pull queen, jack, king, and 10. Oh, I actually have to shuffle to go get a king. We've gone through all of our kings. So I'm not going to reshuffle the deck. I'd like to get through the deck before we do this. All right, start laying this out. The housing district is going to be connected to the, obviously the, the tavern and the merchant. So um, we're going to have this along one side of the river, and then the merchant is going to be next to the hunter's guild, because obviously if you need things when you're heading out on a new mission, you're going to need to stop by that merchant. So I have uh, the 10 and the queen and the jack kind of in a straight line going down. The jack is slightly tilted, and then from the corner of the jack, the corner of the king is touching it, and we're going to flip four more cards. I'm going to see what they are before I put them down. We have a two of diamonds, and we have prompts like everything else in this game. There are prompts. So let's flip and see. We have a two, another 10, so another housing district, which makes sense, right? Like this is a, this is kind of a place where everyone is going to live in these otherwise desolate areas. So it's got a pretty good population. An ace. Ooh, interesting. Oh, wow. And an eight. Okay. So 
we have two of diamonds. It doesn't matter, I don't believe. Yeah, it does not matter what the suits are when you flip these for building a city. So the two that we flipped is a lapidarist. I hope I'm saying that right. It is a rookstone specialist, someone who can work with ancient magical stones and magically upgrade your equipment for a price. So it says here, for one treasure, they can add an additional magical ability, ice, rumble, or electric to your helm. We don't have a helm. Um, for two treasures, they can add a magical ability to an arm, rookling, or mount. Ooh, we can upgrade burger. And for three treasures, they will share with you a rookstone from their private collection. Ooh, and that's cool too. It says here, it's not ice, rumble, or electric, a new one-of-a-kind magical power. We don't have three treasures, so I'm not worried about that. Uh, I think that that Rookstone Specialist is definitely somebody who works with the Hunter's Guild. Why wouldn't they be? So I'm going, to, I'm going to put them alongside the Tavern and the Merchant. The Ace is Palace Grounds. This city has a palace and a ruler as well. It is likely a place of sumptuous architecture built out of only the most ornate Rook Husks, a high point in the city overlooking everyone else. It's doubtful that a wanderer such as yourself would be allowed to go in, but maybe your story's given your character a chance. I don't think Marco has any reason to go meet with a ruler, although the map is kind of a relatively rare commodity, but again, I don't think he would waltz into a palace and be like, hey, can you help me find this place? So I'm going to put that ruler... It says overlooking everyone else. We have two housing districts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the two housing districts on either side of the river. They're going to be connected by another bridge, which is the palace. So basically, this city is residential as you approach the palace. And that palace is perched up over a certain like canyon section of the city, right? We said that this river flows out of a canyon. I think that what happens is this city is situated on the river. And as you travel upstream on the river it eventually is where it is being carved out of the caverns uh, i'm sorry carved out of the canyons and the palace sits kind of situated in between the two walls of the canyons maybe it's a part of a old rook maybe it is like maybe you know what it is i think it's like the um the clavicles what would be like the the shoulders and the clavicles of the rook and the head has been taken off and what w where the head used to sit is now the palace of the ruler of this canyon city and you can actually follow the river further upstream and i think they do actually go further upstream and then maybe there's other parts of that rook they've kind of brought it downstream to build these housing sections these housing um sectors and all of this stuff obviously they're constantly mining these canyons these old rooks um maybe the canyon is built out of a fallen rook so they go up in there and they mine it out that's actually really cool and then lastly the eight we flipped this is great a gourmet district the center of food production a bustling place of restaurants food markets and spice bazaars hunters who've caught wild beasts in the lands can bring bring them in oh and find a great price for their prize and get a meal while bargaining interesting i'm going to put that next in between um one of the housing districts and the hunters guild because obviously hunters are going out and they're getting rid of uh trouble why wouldn't they also go out and get food for the city so cool we have a neat little two bridges you know one way up that is the palace and then one way further downstream which connects the merchant to the hunters guild neat 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 all right so 
we have the city. Time to name it. As always, shout out to fantasynamegenerators.com. I'm going to just go to, they have places and locations, they have city names, and then you from there, I'm going to Wild West Town Generator Name. This is great. I'm going to Get Town Names. We're going to go with Rust Gorge. I like that. So obviously rooks are made of stone, but obviously there can be some metal, uh, some concretions, if you will, for all my fellow wetlander nerds, soil nerds, some iron concretions. So maybe there are veins of uh, some kind of metals that have rusted, um, and it gives this city a really cool um, stone-slash-orange kind of tint to it, which is appropriate for that desert canyon land, rock lands kind of um, aesthetic. The city of Rust Gorge, descending the sandy slopes that Marco and Alice emerged from, from the crackways earlier at the end of last session, the duo plus Berger make their way down and follow the river into the city. Uh, they're approaching from downstream, I think, so they're going to hit the merchant and hunter's guild sections of the city first which i think makes sense right the hunters would also be protection so i think that there is kind of a city wall right and in order to enter there are some hunters posted up and as they approach marco gets a little nervous uh his only experience with one of these hunters has been that armed fellow that was in the crackways as well and kind of chased him around so Marco's weary and keeps his head down and Berger is walking alongside him, but Alice is confident and chatty as ever. And the two of them stop at the checkpoint. Two hunters approach and say, what's your business? And Alice says, my friend here and I are on an epic adventure. We're passing through. And the hunters say, oh, adventure, huh? Well, make sure you stop by the Hunter's Guild. I'm sure we have a quest. Your adventurous selves can find themselves some coin or treasure in and alice says of course marco works up the courage to speak and says do you have any cartographers or people who are familiar with old maps might be looking for folks who will go out and, and map the territories and the hunter smirks and smiles and says ah not the fighting type i see he says of course there's always value in people who are willing to travel and and bring back information about the surrounding regions don't let the name Hunters fool you, boy. There's something for everyone. We're all in this together. And that actually makes Marco feel a little more comfortable, I think. Um, his first experience with a hunter was a little aggressive and antagonistic. So this makes him feel a little more welcome. And he and Alice walk into the city and immediately find themselves in kind of that merchant district, right? There's people holding out rook parts, holding out helms. We see people who have tools and they're kind of pulling apart pieces of rook and using rook stones to try and power up certain things. Like we see all of the wonders that happen in these cities. Uh, rooks are obviously a terrifying, dangerous part of the world. But when one goes down, one is taken down by hunters or one is found in the wild having fallen, so much incredible things can be done. And these cities are a testament to that. Not only are people working on arms to be attached to adventurers, uh, helms to 
provide adventurers with certain magical powers, or raising rooklings in the creches we talked about way back in episode one. These cities have really interesting things going on all the time. Mounts are being uh, built so that people can hop into chairs and, and run incredibly fast speeds or, you know, even climb things. I, you know, I'm not sure. I haven't thought much about the mounted class, but I think that there's so much potential in that. Maybe there are spider-legged like mounts and these people love going to things like the canyons and the caves within those canyons, right? A sure-footed mounts would be incredibly important. So this city is just assaulting Marco's senses and he's looking around at everything that is presenting itself and thinking to himself, wow, I really have not gotten out much and there's so much to see in this world. Despite his hesitation, because again, I don't think Marco's the fighting type, but what fun is a solo RPG series where the character's afraid to do certain things, right? He's definitely an adventurer. He wants to map out. He wants to explore. He wants to find out what these glyphs mean on his family's map. But he may not be super excited about accepting quests from hunters guilds that are more dangerous than he's comfortable with. Alice, on the other hand, not scared even a little bit. I think she kind of drags him by the arm and says, come on, the hunters guild's right over there. Don't you see it? And there's this really cool building that is made out of rook parts, and there are hunters who are testing out new arms. There are adventurers who are training rooklings to perform certain tasks, both defensively, offensively, just utility, anything you can imagine. There are adventurers coming back from missions and reporting what they saw. There are people, there's definitely a job board, right? There's 100% one of those classic fantasy just boards with pieces of paper scattered all over it, detailing various jobs and quests that can be taken up by adventurers who are willing to go for it. And I think that that's exactly where Alice stops. There are some hunters, obviously, that are watching, so if anybody were to show interest, they can. I think there's definitely going to be like a registration with the Hunters Guild, and there's going to be things. So for the sake of showing you what the game does, let's go ahead and flip cards to build a quest here at the Hunters Guild. So if you have the PDF, obviously, um, pick it up. It's incredible, but there's prompts for everything, no matter what. So we're at a city. Marco obviously knows what he wants to do. He's going to have to find somebody to talk to about this map, but it might not be that easy. So before we get to Marco talking to a hunter or a cartographer of the Hunter's Guild, I think that Alice is going to suggest that they pick up a quest. Why not, right? Um, it's a reason to get them out heading in a certain direction. Maybe it is where Marco wants to go, maybe it's not. I'll flip for that later. I think that's going to be the determining factor of whether or not Alice sticks around or not. So let's build a quest, though, because let's show off the system. As always, we are going to flip cards. A Hunter's Guild quest consists of three elements. Uh, to create the quest, draw a card for each element and check them against the tables. So the first thing is the location. This is where the Rook that you are going to be hunting or dealing with is located and will inform the character's adventure in finding it, the sites they're going to see on the journey, the setting, etc., the battle. Then there is another flip for the twist. This is an element of the quest that makes it unusual. It's not just a regular rook you're going to go out and fight. This unusual aspect is what makes it a Hunter's Guild target. And then the third card is the reward, what you will be receiving for bringing back proof that you have dealt with the problem. So, Let's go ahead and flip our first card. The location, I flipped a three. Ooh, 
This is very interesting considering where we are. This is an island in the middle of a lake. So I think maybe there's like a natural dam, right? That these um, these rivers that wind through the canyon lands all start from. And so it's going to be a bit elevated as far as uh, where we're going to find it. So Marco is going to have to climb some canyons and get to the top maybe of a plateau or a mesa where this basin is that a lot of these rivers maybe come from. So the headwaters, this island, and in the middle of this lake, this reservoir, is an island, and this rook is causing trouble. Maybe it's causing trouble for the water that is flowing through these rivers, and it's making things difficult. Maybe um, either fishing or fresh water or things like that aren't reaching the city, and that's obviously a problem. Ooh, that's a really interesting one for Canyonlands. All right, let's flip a card for the... Oh, we have to flip a card for distance from the city. So I flipped, and it is a five of spades. Ooh, this is great. That's the least. So uh, two exploration phases from the city. Okay, so if we're going to do that either now, maybe we'll do one and then pick up next time as we arrive. Uh, but that's great. That's actually the shortest distance from the city is spades. Next up is the twist. I flipped a two. Are there... Are there face cards in this? I feel like I've have I've never flipped face cards. Um, a two says the twist is the rook is flying somehow, circling a tower and dropping boulders on anyone who gets close. Ooh, island in the middle of a lake, flying rook, dropping boulders. So I think yeah, maybe this is a reservoir perched on top of a mesa or a plateau, right in some headwaters up further into the Canyonlands, two exploration phases away. And this, there's like a tower. Maybe there's a tower. Maybe it was a water tower, actually. Um, I mean, that doesn't necessarily make sense, but it's flying and dropping boulders on anyone who gets close. I think that maybe the problem is that the hunters have tried to take this rook out multiple times, and when it drops these boulders, it's creating a blockage in water flow, and we're seeing a lower water level reaching the cities along the river, the, the the settlements. So by trying to hunt this rook, they've actually caused the problem for themselves, which it makes it a perfect job for Marco, who doesn't want to fight it. Maybe just wants to solve the problem. This is interesting. And then lastly, the reward, I flipped. I flipped. There's the ace. Great. But it is diamonds and it is two treasures. Okay, so that's great. We'll get two treasures out of this. Um, I believe at the moment, all we have is... I would say we have two treasures at the moment, one of which being some information on the runes, the glyphs that are being carved by the rooks in the crackways, and the other being the weapons that were wielded by the bandits that were chasing us through the maze in the crackways. So at the moment, if we get into any trading, we have two treasures to work with, and for completing this quest, we'll get two more treasures in addition to whatever we get by defeating the rook um, in battle. So... That could be really cool. I really like that. And just to make it serendipitous, I think that we've created this quest and Alice is all for it. Alice is excited about the prospect of traveling and she's like, a flying rook? She goes, do you know, She, that, who knows what that thing is using to fly? What kind of power that rookstone might be? What... Who knows? She goes, that's incredible. We we have to go. She goes, Marco, come on. The two of us make a great team. 
And Marco just kind of sheepishly, yeah, yeah, we make a pretty good team. And Alice is like, come on, we have to accept it. And Marco says, well, hold on, I want to, I want to ask, and we're going to create another NPC, which we've done in the past. This is how we made Alice, right? So we're going to make an NPC that's going to represent the merchant. So let's go to our NPC Oracle tables and flip some cards. And this is actually perfect. I have four cards left in the deck, so I'm going to flip three of them. Um to create this character and then we'll see what uh what we do so the first card to create this npc is a seven so their name is drea so a female merchant um or a female member of this this guild her look is queen she is injured oh this makes sense right she is a she's not a she's in the hunter's guild she is the cartographer she is a map maker she's injured maybe she took it up because of an old injury when she was a hunter so I think she lost a limb, and she has replaced it with a rook part that is completely capable of getting her around, but for her own sake, she knows that she's going to be more helpful to the Hunter's Guild by doing things like this, and kind of, she's become like a supervisor or a manager, right? She She's the one who is uh, collecting these maps and making updated maps, and kind of, she's kind of become the... Yeah, like a manager. I think that uh, Marco inadvertently looking for somebody who works with the maps and might be able to help him with his family's map and giving him information walks right up to one of the leaders of this Hunter's Guild. And let's flip the last card for their characteristic. Another queen, which says wise and experienced. See, it just works out that way. It just, how good is that? I love emergent storytelling games like this. I love letting the dice or the cards flip, and it just, you know, it works so well. All right, so we have a wise and experienced yet injured woman named Drea, who is uh, the manager, the supervisor of this Hunter's Guild, and Marco walks up and says, with Alice, uh, but Marco's kind of taking the lead on this one and says, Hi, um, I was interested maybe in taking up one of your quests but i was hoping maybe i could get some information on something i have and the lady looks and says i'm busy kid what are you what are we talking about here you, you could take the quest you could take it up with one of the guys one of the hunters standing next to the job board over there they'll be happy to take your information and write down that you're going to be the ones taking it on and marco kind of just says no um well okay i can do that but my family has this old map and I was wondering if anybody here could help me with it. And he pulls out the map and he leaves the key. But when he pulls the map out, he hesitates before unfurling it and says, I don't know much about why we have this. I don't know if it's really important or if it's just some silly thing that my family's had for some time. But I've kind of made it my goal to see the roomlands and find out if there is anything to this and that catches this lady's attention she says all right let's see it marco rolls out the map and shows her the map of five rooms with five different glyphs and she looks at it and her eyes kind of widen and she says okay Okay, kid. Yeah, let's have a conversation. 
Now, obviously, this woman has seen her fair share of maps. She has sent people out from this guild to map the surrounding regions of these rock lands, maybe even into other rooms. She has probably sent to other cities to get maps of the room lands from far away and whatnot. But I'm not sure if she's going to know anything immediately right off the bat about Marco's family's map. In the room lands supplement in the second book, there is just a generic resolution table. I have just shuffled the deck, and we have a brand new deck of cards to figure out whether or not she's going to know anything about this. And we just have to flip one card. If it's red, the answer is no. If it's black, the answer is yes. And then there are degrees within those. So I'm going to flip. It is a black card, so it's yes. And it is an eight of clubs. So it is between five and nine. It is just a flat yes. She knows something about these glyphs. If I were to flip a lower card, ace to four, it would have been yes with a complication. If I would have flipped a higher black card, it would have been yes with a bonus. And then the no's, uh, there's effects from no and it's worse than you expect, no and no, but there's an upside. So just a flat yes is probably just about as good as we can hope for here. So Marco and Drea here take a little bit of time. They have a conversation and surprisingly get along pretty well. Uh, I think that Drea, since hanging up the hunting portion of her Hunter's Guild duties, has become someone who appreciates the the academia, the you know, the collection of knowledge and how that can be applied to Hunter's Guild missions, how she can coordinate better uh, and keep her hunters safer and better serve the city of Rust Gorge. So her and Marco have a good conversation. She asks about his family. And he answers honestly, as far as he knows, they're just simple farmers. And, um, you know, his parents, maybe they were adventurers back in the day, but for as long as he can remember, they've lived a very simple life. So I think that the yes is, it's not yes with a bonus and it's not yes with a complication. So I think she does recognize the glyph here in the Rocklands near Rust Gorge. I think that she knows where it is. I think that's the easiest yes answer we can come up with. And I think that... I'm going to flip a few more cards using the oracles just because I want to engage with the system. There is also a story generator. So I think that the information she has about it, she knows where it is, but doing anything with it might require a quest in and of itself, right? And that kind of makes sense. We're accepting a quest from the Hunter's Guild to help them to get treasures to help this city that we've just found and, you know, are engaging with. But we haven't really talked about the big picture quest of Marco and these five rooms, these five glyphs. So I'm going to flip three cards. The story generator has you flip three cards. Uh, Storytelling insight. So the inciting incident, the subject, and the twist. Let's see if this works. First card, nine of hearts, smuggle. Second card, ace, rookling or rooklings. And third card, the twist is five, treasure. Smuggle. Rookling or Rooklings and Treasure. Hmm. This glyph. She knows where it is. Smuggle, Rookling, or Rooklings. Okay, I think I got it. I think that what she knows about this glyph, we talked about it back in the second episode, I think. I think that the hunter 
told Marco that he recognized that symbol, that it's like kind of a, um, it's kind of a spiral with a line from the center to one of the sides, one of the corners. I think he said he recognized it from the face of like a plateau. And it turns out that's correct. It is actually very prominently, almost naturally carved in the side of a certain plateau. It's a little further beyond where this hunt is going to take Marco and Alice. But Drea lets Marco know that people don't go there because it's pretty far from the city, one. Two, it's a known place where people don't follow laws or anything like that. So it's, it's, it's where a bunch of smugglers potentially keep their goods or, you know, some illegal trading goes out over there. Whether or not that has anything to do with the actual origin of this glyph is is questionable, is debatable. But then we have the subject of it, which is Rookling or Rooklings. So I think that maybe... And then the storytelling twist is Treasure. I think that this glyph is on the side of a plateau. And we don't know what the origin of this glyph is. But there are smugglers there. It's dangerous. Rookling or Rooklings are the subject, and treasure is the twist. I think it's a Rookling factory. I think there is a, maybe another trapped, massive Rook, and it is creating Rooklings. Maybe it has been subdued, or somehow shut down, or, you know, manipulated in a way that these smugglers are abusing it to just pump out rooklings that they are then selling or something like that. So maybe that's a thing. And maybe, you know, this could be why there's some really aggressive rooks in the area because they know something is not is not right. That's kind of interesting. All right, so we have our Hunter's Guild quest to go fix the headwaters of island within a lake on top of a mesa with a flying rook, which sounds crazy. I actually already have a really interesting idea that I might I might be bold enough to try for that combat. And then we have this larger quest, which is discover what's going on at the site of this glyph on, in one of the five rooms that Marco has on his map. Now, before we leave Rust Gorge, if this was a campaign or a game that I was running with friends, I would let my friends spend as much time here in interact interacting with NPCs as they liked. As a solo game, I don't want to spend too much time. Um, there's obviously the Lapidarist, who is very interesting. And for two treasures, I do believe I could trade and add a magical ability to Burger. Earlier I said I think we have two treasures to trade, which one would be the information about the Rook carvings that they were carving within the crackways and the other being the weapons. But I don't know if that would be something that this person would be interested in. They're a rookstone specialist. Then again, you know what? Let's make that NPC. Because I think it'd be cool if we upgrade Burger to have rumble powers as well. So he is ice and rumble. Let's go ahead and make that NPC. Let's see what this uh, merchant, this lapidarist is. We'll do that trade. And then basically we'll head out. We'll say that Marco spends a night at an evening at, at, at the tavern. But because he's not the most social kid, Alice is, you know, collecting rumors and things like that. But uh, the two of them are going to continue on in the morning. So let's create this merchant. Name, two, Torug. Okay, so there's 
uh, Thorug or Torug. I'm going to go with Torug. Um, a six. Their look is delicate. Ooh, that's funny. That's interesting. And their characteristic is a jack, which says shrewd, quiet, and brooding. Okay, so already I have an idea about Torug here. Torug is a wiry framed older gentleman, kind of um, crazy frizzled hair. Think almost like Einstein in that picture, right? And they wear these big goggles because they're constantly welding or doing fine fine manipulation of these small rook stones and putting them into things like helms and trying to find ways to make them power certain things. So when Marco walks in, he he sees this scrawny, you know, this thin, delicate man, uh, older man, hunched over a workbench, and Thorig doesn't immediately notice Marco and Alice when they walk in, but I think Berger kind of like bumps into a table, and he turns around very quickly. He he hushes Marco and Berger and Alice, and Alice hadn't even gotten a word out, but she immediately understands, oh, maybe I shouldn't speak. Marco, holding Berger's hand, uh, pulls Berger forward and says, this is my friend Bergeron. Um, I heard you might be the person who can help him learn some new abilities. We're about to go out into the canyon lands and, um, and Thorog just stops him and just goes, fine, fine, fine. Yes. Uh, well, the, the cost is typically, uh, two treasures. So what do you have for me? And Marco says, I don't know if you'd accept weapons, but these were taken from some bandits we found in the crackway and his bushy eyebrows kind of go up and he says, bandits, crackways, who are you two? But he says, I could find a use for these. It's always hard sometimes breaking open rook parts to get to the valuable bits. And then he says, uh, what else do you have? And Marco and Alice both pull out their notebooks with the rubbings of the runes and explain that this might be uh, an entirely new written kind of language of rooks. And they explain that it was being, you know, it was in an area where there were these Rooks that aren't were they weren't normal size. They were somewhere in between rookling and you know regular size dangerous rooks and massive rooks and things like that. So Marco also describes how he put together a little bit of it in the maze portion of the crackways. And I think Torug is this is enough. He says this is wonderful. He goes, I would love to see if I can figure anything else about this. Uh, he says. I have some friends who study uh, these kinds of things. And he says, if there's a language within rook culture, this could be, this could be monumental. This could in totally help us as unlock potential in rookstones. And he says, of course. Uh, and he goes, this is your friend here. And Berger kind of waves one of those big, meaty, icy hands. And he says, ah, he goes, well, you have a very protective young rookling here. And he says, I'm sure I can help him with something. And, he kind of goes, he starts digging through drawers and crates and things like that, that he has here. And as we said before, um, Bergeron Berger has that one of the glyphs, the uh, spiral with the line to the center in it on his person. And, um, I think Torog looks at that and goes, well, that's interesting. He says, ice, huh? He says, well, I think this might work. And basically he grabs a fist sized, um, it looks like there's a rookstone inside of it, but basically there's a bunch of concentric rings of overlapping metal, and it almost looks like stone. And there are these thin bands that go around it. And he says, all right, Berger, I'm going to need you to hold this very tightly. And Berger's two big hands kind of go around 
this uh, thing. And he says, all right, now, do not be alarmed. And he says, Burger, smash. And Burger takes their two hands. You see the ambient moisture in the air once again kind of coalesce around Burger's two big hands as the ice just kind of builds up over everything in between his two hands and around this rookstone and whatnot. And he just smashes it into like an icy snow dust. And as it kind of just dissipates in the air around Burger, we see that uh, certain parts of Burger's small rookling body um, become reinforced and almost jagged. Uh, it looks less like a little hewn castle of neat... What's what I'm looking for? Neat crenellations and um, stonework and more natural. And the man says, oh, well, that worked better than I expected. And he goes, enjoy finding out what you can do with those new powers, Burger. And he says, and to you, Marco, thank you very much. If you are ever back in Rust Gorge, I hope we can discuss this language more. And Marco smiles and says, thank you so very much. And off they go. All right, let's go ahead and flip cards for one more exploration phase as Marco, Alice, and Berger depart Rust Gorge and make their way towards the Hunter's Guild quest and the dangerous smuggler plateau that is the subject of one of the five glyphs on Marco's familial map. As always, we're going to do the exploration phase, so we're going to flip uh, cards equal to our exploration score, which for Marco is five which is great. Very good at exploration, and we're going to get quite a bit in here. And the last, actually, the last exploration phase we did was specifically for the crackways, so it's going to be nice to get back to doing it with uh, regular exploration rules. So let's see what we flip here. Five cards. First card is a two of hearts, which I feel like we've already had, but maybe not. Um, a six of spades, an eight of diamonds, a five of hearts, and a nine of diamonds. Guys, we will never flip a face card in an exploration phase. Although, we have at least one more before we reach the subject of the hunt. And then I think we decided one more beyond that for the glyph. So there's still a chance. Let's go over what these cards represent and see if we can weave together a fun little tale. And if it doesn't come to me immediately, I might actually just call it early and we'll put it together next time. But a two of hearts. Animal to hunt for food. The animal in the wilds are strange and unfamiliar, weird combinations of animals you might know, like boars with scales, or fowls with two sets of wings. Adventuring is hungry work, and you should make time to eat. Because it's a heart and not a diamond, it's actually easy prey. So I think that we're in canyon lands. I often think here, I don't want to say something as cute as a fennec fox, but you do have like hares and rabbits, right? And you have mice and you have lizards. So maybe what it is, is... <laughs> Maybe it's like a scaled rabbit. It has a, it like hops around like a rabbit. It's very quick, but it has a instead of like a little bushy tail, uh, it has it just has like a reptilian tail. Yeah, it's not a pretty picture, but it's easy prey. Um, and it's just basking on a rock, obviously in the sun in the heat. Uh, we also have a five of hearts, which says a oh no, oh no. A dead body of another human. Who are they? What are they wearing? Either draw a card from the item table to see if they have something on their person, or draw a card from the event table to see if the situation develops. 
and Hart says, seems safe. Diamond says, something's off. Because it says, seems safe, I think that I'm going to flip the item card instead of the event card. Of course, I flip a two. I only flip two. So two is supplies. So I think it makes a lot more sense. This person was caught out here. And yes, they still have their supplies on them. But something seems safe. Something bad happens. Maybe it's because uh, they wandered a little too far from water. What used to be, we talked about how the water level is lower. So Marco and Alice do manage to scavenge supplies from them and give them a respectful kind of, they don't quite bury them, but they, they lay them more peacefully. Oh, that's really sad. Uh, our other red card is a nine of diamonds. So a massive skeleton. It looks humanoid, but it can't be, can it? And diamonds means bandit camp. Damn it. We've run into so many of these bandits. Um, okay. So that might be a combat for next time. And then we have two black cards, which are again, scenic things, structures, and objects. We have a six of spades, which says a trap. Maybe it's a hunter's trap or a pit or other old machinery. What do you do? With a spades as opposed to a clubs, we manage to avoid it, which is very convenient. Uh, so maybe it's a trap laid by the bandits. We'll say that. I'm going to put those two cards together. Um, and actually, you know what? Maybe the dead body is caught in a trap. Um, and that's why we avoid it. So. And then lastly, the eight of diamonds, which says here, an event. You come across a small settlement, maybe a farming village. Buildings are wooden and uh, and skins. Like most small settlements, it is safe. Draw an item card to see what can be found here. Otherwise, draw an event card. For the sake of tying these together, I think what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to say that this small settlement is actually the banded camp, just to tie it all together. So uh, we're going to draw an event card for this and flip a card. We got a five of spades or five of clubs. does not matter what the suit is. Five says a loud noise. Perfect. So let's just set the scene for next time. We have left Rust Gorge, Alice, Berger, and Marco. They are traveling, walking along the river, walking upstream from the city towards their first destination, which is this hunt, this quest. They're going to be climbing a plateau where an island sits in the middle of a lake. On their way, um, they do find easy prey, which I think just means we're going to... I think Alice uh, is excited to test out um, her arm. And basically she attaches like a harpoon to it and launches it and just stakes us uh, an easy meal. So that's good. Um, you know, we'll eat it. But at the same time, there is that gourmet district back in Rust Gorge. So maybe on the way back, if we get easy prey again or even dangerous prey, we can bring it and get rewarded for it. Um, but we're on our way out. So we managed to snack ourselves some food. But then we continue going a little ways further and find a dead body trapped in a trap. And... We feel terrible for it. We take it out of the trap and take their supplies because, as terrible as it sounds, we may end up needing them more than they will. We lay them to a much nicer rest, and then we continue on, avoiding another trap. But I think what happens is, the event for what happens is a loud noise. So I think what happens is we avoid the trap, but we avoid it by 
burger, you know, uh, testing out their rumble, their new rumble abilities. And they rumble the ground and it snaps one of these things off and it shoots a, a very loud noise out, alerting the bandits nearby. And that's when we see, um, we have come much too close to a bandit camp. We will have a battle next time against some more bandits and then continue our quest towards this plateau. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Playing With Myself, and hopefully I didn't sound so bad. I hope nobody's listening and going, oh, I can't listen to his voice like this. Um, But as always, it means so much to us that you take time out of your week to listen to us play these games. Um, If you like what we do, consider rating us on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. You can reach out to us at DMs After Dark on pretty much all the social medias. We love hearing from people. Uh, If you want to email us directly, you can do so at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. We've received some emails and we love getting back to people. We kind of, we chat about it in our little private group and we get very excited. Um, If you're listening to this, we will be streaming the day this comes out. Uh, It's either going to be Crossroads Carnival or it may be a holiday one shot based on whether or not uh, we need to pivot. But come hang out with us on Twitch at around 7 p.m. every other Friday. We have a great time and we like to engage with chat and and have our good fun. And other than that, I think uh, we're working on some merch. We're working on some shirts. We have some bookmarks. Uh, We're going to be working on some stickers. So if you like us and would like some of those, you know, stay tuned for that. And until next time... You know, go read a map. Go make a map. Made up or your local area. Cartographize. Bye.